This morning we're celebrating Jesus' resurrection, and I thought it would be powerful to have some of our folks share how has the living, resurrected Jesus worked in their lives and circumstances recently. Jesus Christ is alive, and he is here working in our lives now. And I thought, wouldn't it be powerful to have people share tangible testimonies of what the living, resurrected Jesus Christ has done in their lives? So I want to have them share. Start down. We'll pass the mic down as we go. Go ahead, Kate. All right, so I'm Kate, and I was in the back with my little ones, but um, several months ago I had just a powerful um, attack of fear that came over me, and um, some would call it like a dark a dark night of the soul. It's just a very intense uh, moment of fear, and without rescue I was sure that this fear would just drown my trust. So I grabbed my journal and my Bible, and with great tears I began to pray, telling my father the depths of my fear. I said, Lord, nothing makes sense and I'm afraid. Please help me to see your face clearly. Remind me that you can calm this tempest with a single word if I trust. Do not let my feet sink. Please reveal yourself. This darkness is too much for me. Light, come to my rescue. Mm -hmm. And as I was finishing, the Spirit prompted me to open God's word to the time when Jesus walks on the sea towards several very extremely terrified disciples. Mm In Matthew 14:27, Jesus responds to the disciples' acute fear with this command, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And in that moment, beyond any doubt, I knew that God was speaking those words directly to me. Yes. So I repeated them over and over to myself, prayed, and slowly my heart was quieted and a great calm came. Thank you, Kate. Hi, my name is Paul Walton. Uh, I'm going to share about how the Lord can meet us in our suffering. Last year, I suffered a pretty severe back injury. I've always had a bad back, but this came with sciatica, and I've never experienced pain like that before, where it just, uh, I couldn't lay in a bed, <laughs> I couldn't stand, I couldn't sit, I was just in constant pain. And this went on for, you know, seven days or so, and I'd finally just reached the end of my rope, and I was just in a fetal position on my knees. That's the only position I could be in that I had any comfort. And I just cried out to the Lord. I said, Lord, I've gone as far as I can go. You need to meet me right now because this pain is just too much for me. And uh, I really felt the presence of the Lord come upon me, and he comforted me. And uh, and he said, Paul, you know, you're experiencing this pain from from one disc being uh, herniated. My whole body was disjointed, and the, the flesh was torn from my body so that you might know the grace of my Father, and you would enjoy His presence and glory forever. And uh, it just mm. <laughs> it just brought this relief upon me, is that knowing that God, that Jesus chose to suffer for me, to, to suffer the punishment of sin in His flesh, and it just uh, it just really comforted my heart to know that He loved me that deeply. And I just was encouraged because I thought about Revelations 21 that yes, right now you know there's suffering and there's pain and there's sorrow, but one day he's going to live amongst his people and there'll be no more tears and no more suffering. Yes. And uh, that just comforted me. And I know a lot of you are going through physical pain, but um, just trust the Lord because he, he will meet you. Yes. He'll give you grace for each minute. Yes. Good morning. I'm Chuck Keen. Um, I've been with Mercy Hill since 2001. In the past year, both my father and my sister were in dire straits. Uh, they were basically on their deathbeds. Yeah. It made me very low, and I let myself grieve. I left myself open and vulnerable before the Lord. 
I prayed to Jesus, and he held me. I read Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, the God in whom I trust. The psalmist goes on to talk about impossible situations that God is in control of. I felt fear of not being able to help my family. They were 2,000 miles away. Mm -hmm. He washed away my fear. Jesus did. He gave me hope that I could rest in him. We read his words some more. We prayed some more. Him and I, that is. And I trust in him. Yeah. He will call upon me, Psalm 9115, and I will answer him. The Lord will answer us. The Lord will be with us in trouble. He will deliver us, and he will honor us. And with long life, he'll satisfy us, and most importantly, he will show us his salvation. Yes. Thanks, Chuck. Hi, my name is Maria Gregg. I co-lead a home group here. Um, From childhood, I thought I needed to earn acceptance through validation from others. I repeatedly sinned against God because I did not believe that what he did for me on the cross was enough. Mm. This, This sin brought pain into my marriage and affected how I conducted myself at work. Mm. I developed an attitude of entitlement around receiving validation and recognition. I experienced consequences. I constantly felt disappointed, anxiety, easily angered, agitated. Mm. So I repeatedly pressed in, asked God's forgiveness, and to open my eyes to my sin, to change my heart to be fully satisfied in Jesus alone. Mm. Jesus gave me John 1.12. But to all who did receive him, yes. who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Mm-hmm. This verse helped me understand that what Jesus did on the cross is the ultimate validation that I need. Yes. In the past year, he planted this truth in my heart, and it helps me to go to him when temptation to go to others for validation creeps up. Mm -hmm. As a result of receiving all I need from Jesus, he has transformed my heart, humbled me, and improved my marriage. Nice. Good morning. My name is Jason Madden, and this is my wife, Patty, uh, my better half. Um, so I just wanted to share that we recently um, wanted to share something that's been going on uh, in our life and in our marriage. Uh, we've been Christians for quite a long time, uh, but something um, recently has led us to like, really trust Jesus and to put our faith in him, um, and that is um, infertility. So when we learned that we would probably never have biological children, uh, we could see how God was starting to change our hearts uh, and to satisfy our hearts. Um, He is showing us how he had great purpose in letting us go through this trial, Mm -hmm. and that is still sort of unfolding in our lives. Mm -hmm. So going through the trial of infertility, um, we now more fully understand and believe that our joy and satisfaction could never come from a child could mm-hmm. never come from a perfect marriage, and it couldn't come from anything we could go after in this whole in this whole world. And our hearts could only really be satisfied through trusting in Jesus. 
um, which is a really hard hard thing to come face to face with in the midst of, of something that was as devastating to mm. us as infertility. Mm-hmm. So although not being able to conceive a child was still, was and still is an enormous hurt, Jesus makes it possible for us to feel the pain of the hardship mm-hmm. and allow God and our friends to share in it with us. Yeah. And it's Jesus who led us to move forward and trust that his plans for our family are far greater than ours, whatever they may be, mm-hmm. even though they're uncertain for now to us. Okay. Thank you so much. So let's thank these who have shared their testimonies. You can go back and have a seat. Thank you for sharing those stories. Jesus Christ is alive today, and he is at work today in those who trust him. So let's pray. Ask God's blessing on our time in the word this morning. Father, thank you for what these have shared and how... Jesus Christ has touched each of their lives in real tangible ways. And we praise you for the resurrection that we can celebrate today. And I pray that you would use your word this morning powerfully in each heart who's here. Lord, for some, Easter is something that they have celebrated for years. I pray that today you would do something new in their hearts. I pray for those who are not yet trusting Jesus Christ, and I pray that today, by the work of your Spirit, you'd open their eyes and hearts to see the truth, the evidence for Christ's resurrection, that they would turn and trust Christ today and be forgiven and changed and satisfied forever. Do that, Lord. And I need your help to be in sync with your word and give me the right heart, I pray, and clarity of mind. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we've been talking about, today is Easter Sunday, and it's a day, I love thinking about this, millions of Christians all around the globe, every nation, tongue, and tribe, different ethnicities and languages and cultures, this massively diverse group of people, Christians all around the globe are worshiping Jesus Christ and celebrating his resurrection today. So we're joining with them here at Mercy Hill Church. And this morning, I want to cover four really important questions about the resurrection, which I think will be helpful for you to help us to celebrate, to understand, to trust Jesus Christ, and to celebrate his resurrection. So, four crucial questions. The first one is going to be, what difference does the resurrection of Jesus Christ make? And then the second one is, what does the Bible say happened on that Easter Sunday morning? And then the third is, why should we believe what the Bible says about the resurrection? And then fourth, what difference does this make in our lives? So, first question, why is Jesus' resurrection so important? Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 17 to answer this question. And if you need a Bible, we like to pass them out to those who don't have Bibles so that you can look upon the scriptures with us. Really important to have the Word of God in your hands. Open it up. These are the most important words you're going to see and hear this morning, are the words in the scriptures. And so Matthew 17 is on page 823, 823 in the Bibles we passed out. So the question is, why is Jesus' resurrection so important? And there's lots of reasons why, dozens and dozens of reasons why. But the one I want to point out this morning is Jesus' resurrection is important because he himself said that he would rise from the dead. He said he would rise from the dead. And so his credibility, the truthfulness of everything else that he taught then, hangs on whether he rose from the dead or not. 
So I want to show you that he himself taught that he would rise from the dead. Matthew 17, look at verses 22 and 23. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man... Now, that's the term that Jesus used to describe himself. So he's talking about himself here. He is, he describes himself as a son of man. So the son of man, Jesus speaking of himself, is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. And they, the disciples, were greatly distressed. They didn't understand what he was saying. They didn't want to hear about him dying. They were distressed. But you see right here, Jesus Christ himself taught that he would rise from the dead. Now think about this. If Jesus said he would rise from the dead, if he taught, I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day, and then if he did not rise from the dead... That would raise all kinds of doubts and questions about his credibility, about the truth of everything else that he taught. Which is of huge importance because Jesus taught us great news. Amazing news. Encouraging news. Here's what he taught, just a summary. He did start with some bad news. It's truth, though, crucial that we get this, and that is that there, we have all sinned against God. And because we've sinned against God, our relationship with God has been disrupted barrier of sin is between us and God, and we face his judgment forever. That's the bad news. We've got to get that first. But he said, and yet God loves us. He loves you, he said. God cares about us, and he has made a way for us to be forgiven and reconciled to God and know his love and care forever. And he did this by sending Jesus Christ, his own son, fully God and fully man. One person, fully God, fully man. God the Father sent Jesus the Son here to the earth and he died on the cross being punished in our place for our sin. That's why Jesus died. That's what the cross was was all about. And then Jesus taught that God is going to raise me from the dead. Okay? Jesus will be raised from the dead. He taught that very clearly. And so because Jesus rose from the dead, if we will trust him, if we will turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ, we will be forgiven, we'll be reconciled in relationship to God, and we will know his love and his care forever. So Jesus brought us wonderful news, amazing news. If you haven't tasted of this news, you've got something wonderful in store for you if and when we trust you come to trust Jesus Christ. So wonderful news. But part of this wonderful news was that he would rise from the dead, which means that if he did not rise from the dead, that would cast doubts on his credibility. Can we trust anything that he said? But think about it. If he said, I'm going to rise from the dead, and then he did rise from the dead, that miracle did take place, that would strengthen our confidence in everything else that he said as well. So everything hangs on whether Jesus Christ rose from the dead or not. So what happened? What does the Bible say happened when Jesus rose from the dead on that Easter Sunday morning? To answer that question, turn to Matthew chapter 28, which is just a couple pages to the right. And in the Bibles we just passed out, that's page 835. What does the Bible say happened when Jesus rose from the dead? Now let me give you some background. For three years, Jesus with his disciples traveled around Palestine, Israel, and 
he worked astonishing miracles. Showing that he is fully God, and those miracles also showed how deeply he cares for us. So Jesus, for three years, traveled around and he worked miracles. Now, I'm going to give a little pause here. Young people, okay, junior hires on down, here's a question for you. If tomorrow at school, someone came up to you and said, why on earth would you believe that Jesus worked miracles? Why would you believe that? I want to make sure that this morning you've got a rock-solid, strong answer. But so can you think what you'd answer? Here's what I would hope you would answer. The reason that we believe that Jesus worked miracles is because this book, the Bible, is full of stories which were written by people who actually were there and who with their own eyes saw Jesus working these miracles. So take Matthew, for example. Matthew wrote his gospel. You know, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was there when Jesus worked his miracles. He saw them with his own eyes. And he wrote down those miracles in the gospel of Matthew so that we could see what Matthew saw and so that we could know that Jesus worked miracles. So the reason, one of the main strongest reasons we believe that Jesus wrote miracles is that we have his story here based on eyewitnesses, people who saw with their own eyes the miracles that Jesus worked. And so for three years, Jesus went throughout Israel and he worked miracles to show us that he was God and to show how much he loved us. So for example, Jesus came upon a man who had been blind from birth. Okay, everybody close your eyes. Kids, close your eyes, okay? That's blind, And imagine that you had been that way from birth, never seeing. And then imagine that you hear that Jesus is standing in front of you and he says, be healed. And then open your eyes. Jesus is the Son of God with power to heal blind eyes, showing how much he cares about us. Jesus also took five loaves and two fish. There are 5,000 hungry people, five loaves and two fish, and he multiplied. Matthew saw Jesus multiplying five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 people. Matthew was there in the boat during a storm, a gale force storm. The boat was being flooded with water. They were going to go under in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And Matthew saw Jesus stand up and said, Quiet, be still, storm. And instantly the storm stopped. And Matthew saw that with his own eyes. I've got to write this down so the people can see, can know about this. And then one of the more, most touching stories, I just read it this last week. A man named Jairus came to Jesus and said, Jesus, my daughter is very sick. She's dying. Come, help her. And Jesus goes, and, and on the way, messengers come from the house. Jairus, we're sorry, it's too late. She's dead. Jesus said, let's keep going. And Jesus was there. And he healed Jairus' daughter. And I'm sorry, he raised her from the dead. Son of God, great compassion. So for three years, Jesus traveled throughout Israel, working amazing miracles. And as I already mentioned, teaching wonderful news. And hundreds of people throughout Israel saw the miracles, heard the good news, put their trust in Jesus Christ, experienced being completely forgiven for all their sins, their relationship with God reconciled, knowing God's love and care. This was happening throughout Israel, and the religious leaders got really jealous because they were in it for the money, they are in it for the power, 
They didn't know God. They just loved position. They loved the applause. They loved the kudos. And Jesus called them out on it. And all these people were flocking to Jesus, meeting the true God through Jesus. They'd not met the true God through these religious leaders. And the religious leaders were jealous. And just as Jesus had said, the religious leaders arrested him. They had him beaten. They had him scourged. They had him nailed to the cross where he hung for hours suffering and then he died. And what the Roman soldiers always did was they wanted to make sure that people they crucified were dead and so they took a spear and and thrust it up into his side and yes, Jesus in fact was dead. Now a man named Joseph asked permission to take the body down from the cross and to bury it in a tomb, a cave that that he had that had been carved out of the rock, and Joseph was given permission to do that. And so the body was taken down, Joseph of Arimathea buried it, and then Roman soldiers were assigned to go to the tomb, roll the big rock in front of the tomb, and guard it so that nobody would steal the body. So that was Friday afternoon, Friday night, all Friday night, the guards were there guarding. All Saturday, the guards were there guarding. All Saturday night, the guards were there guarding. And then, Sunday morning, something happened. (laughs) Something happened. What happened? Matthew 28, start with verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, that's Saturday, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance, the angel's appearance, was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Passed out. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they, the women, departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So early Sunday morning, there's a great earthquake, and an angel comes down from heaven, shining with this brilliant light, blaze with with light, and the angel comes down from heaven and rolls back the stone. Now, the reason the angel rolled back the stone was not so that Jesus could come out of the tomb. He had already been raised from the dead, and he was 
The tomb was empty. He was moving on. Okay, But the angel rolled back the tomb so that the women and the other disciples could look inside the tomb and see that it is in fact empty. That's why the angel rolled back the tomb. And with the angel, but when the angel does this, the guards, they are frightened and they become like dead men, which means they psh, fell over. Okay, They passed out. They were gone. But then Mary Magdalene and Mary come to the tomb and the angel tells them, Jesus has risen from the dead. And the angel says, look in the tomb and see for yourself. It's empty. And so they look in the tomb and they see. And then the angel says, go now and tell the rest of the disciples, Jesus Christ is risen. So just as he said, Jesus rose from the dead. But this brings us to our next question. Why should we believe that? Okay, Matthew, right? Why should we believe that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, rest of the New Testament, why should we believe that? If at work tomorrow, someone asked you, you know, I, I was thinking about the fact that it's Easter weekend and I've heard that you're a Christian. I'm just curious, why do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? What would you say? Adults? You know, kids, you can ask your parents this question at lunch and see if they get it right. So listen hard here, okay? But what would you say, adults, if somebody at work tomorrow said, I'm just curious, you're a Christian, right? Why do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? It doesn't happen every day. Why do you believe that? And see, many people think that Christians believe in the resurrection with some kind of blind faith. That, well, we just believe it. That is not what the Bible teaches us to do. When you read the scriptures, you see that the reason we are to believe in the resurrection is because of evidence. 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 Now, let me point that out to you. Right here in Matthew chapter 28, we see three pieces of evidence, crucial pieces of evidence, that the angel and Jesus is going to show the early disciples. First of all, in verse 6, the angel invites the woman. Notice how he says, look inside the tomb. The angel wants the women to walk up to the tomb and look inside the tomb. He invites them to look inside the tomb to see that the tomb is empty. How did the tomb get empty? Okay. It wasn't the Jewish leaders who stole the body out of the tomb because the guards had been there the whole time. Okay. It wasn't the disciples who stole the body out of the tomb because the guards had been there the whole time. It wasn't the guards who stole the body out of the tomb because if they had the body stolen while they were on the watch, they would be killed for dereliction of duty. How did the tomb get empty? It wasn't the religious leaders. It wasn't the Romans. It wasn't the guards. It was God. And the angel says, look inside the tomb and see that it's empty. One piece of evidence. Second, verse 7. The angel tells them that Jesus wants the disciples to go to Galilee where they will see him. Read verse 7. Then go quickly. Mary Magdalene, other Mary, go quickly. Tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. It's when they see Jesus alive for themselves with their own eyes. That's why they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They saw him. 
Jesus wants them to go to Galilee so they can see him. He doesn't say, just believe that I rose. He says, come to Galilee so you can see me, so you'll know. Third piece of evidence, verse 9. I love how Jesus chooses to meet these two women so they can see him and touch him for themselves. Read those verses, read verse 9 again. And behold, Jesus met them. This is Mary Magdalene and the other Mary going to tell the disciples, and on the way, Jesus met them. And he said, greetings. And they saw him. And they came up and they took hold of his feet. Physical feet. Real feet. Jesus' feet. Nail-pierced feet. And they worshipped him. So see, Jesus did not want the disciples to try to believe in the resurrection based on some kind of blind faith. He wanted them to see the evidence. Empty tomb. Seeing him personally. Touching him personally. That's why he wants us to believe, because of the evidence. But what about people who've never, who weren't there, who didn't see, touch? Let me give you an example of how the rest of us believe. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is to the right in your Bibles, page 961. 961 in the Bibles we passed out. 1 Corinthians is a letter which Paul the Apostle wrote to a church in Corinth, written around the year 55 A.D., okay, 20-something years after Jesus died and rose. And it was written to a, the city of Corinth, which was, is a is in modern-day Greece, is where it's located, large, bustling harbor city. And this is written to believers who lived in Corinth, most of whom would not have been there, obviously, to see the empty tomb, to see Jesus for themselves, to touch Jesus for themselves. And yet they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. The believers in Corinth believed that. What they were struggling with was believing that, that they themselves would be raised from the dead at the end of history. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to help them see that since Jesus rose from the dead, you all believe that, that's why you can know that you will be raised from the dead. So that's where he's going in 1 Corinthians 15. But in the first verses, he reminds them why they believe Jesus rose from the dead. Look at what he says. Verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter. Then he appeared to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. That is, they've died. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So here Paul reminds them, here's why we believe in the resurrection. 
You weren't there to see the empty tomb. You weren't there to see Jesus with your own eyes. You weren't there to touch him as you worshipped him holding to his feet. But think of all the eyewitness people to whom Jesus did appear. Okay, and, this, and he goes through this long list. We've got Cephas, Peter, verse 5. All the 12, verse 5. 500 brothers who all saw Jesus at one time, verse 6. James, verse 7. The apostles, verse 7. Paul himself, in verse 8. So again, evidence. Evidence. He doesn't say, just believe because you're Christians. He says, look at the evidence. All these people saw Jesus with their own eyes. And there's, there's no good reason to doubt their eyewitness testimony. I mean, think of it. Hundreds of people who said they saw Jesus with their own eyes alive after the dead. It makes no sense, for example, to think that these were, people were all lying. I mean, people do lie, right? Does it make any sense to think that these people were all lying? Well, think about it. Believing in Jesus' resurrection did not gain you money or position or comfort. Did it? Believing in Jesus' resurrection brought you beatings and persecution, and in many cases, death. It makes no sense to lie about something that's going to bring that into your life. There's no motive for it. No reason to think they were lying. Some people have thought, well, maybe they were all hallucinating. But, but think about it. I mean, there are such a thing as hallucinations, right? People do hallucinate things that aren't real. That happens. Okay, but, but two crucial factors here. One is that hallucinations are not group events. You don't have 500 people all hallucinating the same thing at the same time. It doesn't happen. Also, hallucinations are not physical events where you sit down with somebody you're hallucinating about and you, you eat with them and you watch them eat and you touch them and you, you worship holding his feet. That's not what hallucinations are. So see, we have no reason to think that these witnesses were lying or that they were hallucinating. We have every reason, every reason as historians, as thinkers, as readers, we have every reason, all the evidence confirms, points to, supports the fact that hundreds of people saw Jesus alive from the dead. Hundreds of people. I mean, think about it. Imagine that you were doubting whether Jesus rose from the dead. And, and here, maybe a seven-year-old boy walks up to you and says, uh, I saw him after he had died. He was alive. And then maybe a 70-year-old woman walks up and says, I saw him alive after he had died. And maybe a 20-something stay-at-home mom walks up and says, well, I saw him. I saw him. I touched him. He was real. Then maybe a 45-year-old accountant walks up and says, though I saw him too. He's, I saw him. We ate together. It was Jesus. And person after person after person, number five, number six, number seven, number eight, 239, 240, 250, more and more and more. How many people, eyewitnesses who have no reason to lie, who hallucinations make no sense for, how many people do we need historical eyewitness testimony people to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Listen, all the evidence confirms that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died he was buried, and as shocking as it is, he rose. He was alive. 
Listen, all the evidence points to that. You do not need to be fearful about having people ask you why you believe in the resurrection. Let me tell you why. I'd love to tell you why. Many people don't understand this, but there's massive historical... We have more... I mean, the reason you believe in that Pilate existed was because you look at the history books, which were written based on eyewitness reports, and okay, so Pilate existed. We have massively more historical eyewitness evidence for Jesus' resurrection and life and death and miracles. So here's what this means. I just want you to feel this this morning. All the evidence confirms that Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago died, was buried, and rose again. There is no evidence to the contrary. And so the reason we are to believe in Jesus Christ's resurrection is because of the evidence that's out there in history, eyewitness evidence. And so I, I just stand here today and I just want to tell you, look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. Examine the evidence. Historical documents with eyewitness accounts. The number of people who saw Jesus, the number of people who were willing to die and many of whom did die for their testimony that Jesus was alive. Kill me if you want. I know he was alive. Who gained nothing from that testimony, lost everything earthly from that testimony, but gave that testimony because they know it's true and they will rise again because it is true. Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. And based on the evidence, I want to call you today. Believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and trust him this morning. Now, we like to have question and answer here Sunday mornings. So let's, let's just ask what, what questions are raised by what we just looked at. It's not that I can answer all of them, but we've got some, some people who've studied the scriptures for years here, all of us together. What questions are raised in your mind by what we've just looked at here? In terms of why is the resurrection so important? Well, one reason is because Jesus' credibility is at stake because he said he would rise from the dead. What does the Bible then say happened on Easter Sunday morning? It says Jesus rose from the dead. And why should we believe this? It's because of the evidence. Evidence. Okay, questions. What, what questions does this raise? Paul, we'll bring a mic over to you. Thanks, Steve. Jesus was always God. Uh, this is what the Bible teaches. Um, he, he, he took on human nature. He was both then God and man. And he was punished by God the Father for our sins. So I don't see, it doesn't, I don't understand why there's any implication of that, that he ever stopped being God. That just, I, don't, I don't see the connection. What I've heard is that God cannot have fellowship with sin. Is that, that creates... Well, I would just... That, that he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. So they're teaching that since he became sin, that he is no longer deity at that moment. Yeah, I just think that's wrong. Yes. Good question. Something specifically, though. Well, just that the scriptures 
I mean, teach that I mean, Jesus is always, has always been fully God. And so that's so clear from the scriptures that, that, that this possible implication, say, well, that, no, that, that's, that, that couldn't be true because these scriptures are so clear that he always was God. That's the best answer I could give. Somebody else help with that one? Josh? And then... That's a really good point. And so Jesus, never he never sinned, right? That's what you're saying, right, Josh? So Jesus had our sin imputed to him, and he paid for our sin, but he never sinned. And so that's why, that, that's why it doesn't work to say that he be, therefore wasn't God. Thank you. Good. More? Question? Josie? Here comes the mic. Well, it, it, he could have used reckoned. He used uh, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. We became the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. But the, 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 the word became has a broad range of meaning. And it could mean that he actually was sinful. It doesn't have to mean that. There's other ranges of meaning like imputed and reckoned. So, so became is, is a broad word. Does that sound right? I mean, it's just it's a broad word. So thanks, Josie. Okay. Other questions? Yeah. Dave. Oh, and then back to Robert. Go ahead, Dave. We've got a mic for you. Sorry, guys. When you took on the sin, I, what I've read is that he said, God, my father, father, why have you forsaken me? Is God could not look on his sin, his son, but the sin was in him or on him. And that's why Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? Yes, that's helpful, right? And so, I mean, because again, he was being punished for our sin in our place, okay? And God's wrath was upon him. Through his uh, shed blood, it cleanses us from all sin. Beautiful. I remember uh, when God tore the uh, the bell in the temple in two. He opened up that fellowship for man. At that yes, time. beautiful. Okay, any questions about the resurrection? <laughs> <laughs> the cross is so important, okay? Crucial we understand the cross. If you have any questions about the resurrection, we can talk about those too this morning. So, Robert. Yeah, like on the road to Emmaus. Yes. When the two were uh, talking to Christ, didn't know that was Jesus, and uh, God basically hid their eyes from the sight of, of recognizing Christ at that time. And, and they were saying, well, don't you know what's happened in Jerusalem? And, and when he got to their home and they invited him in, God opened their eyes at that time to recognize yeah. that Christ was risen. That's a good point. I experience in my own life where uh, physical things that were hid from my life or, or from my eyes for a moment of time. Mm-hmm. And then I said, Lord, where is that key that I dropped? And it was right between And there you see it, yep. 
And, and that verse, when I read it, I go, God, you can hide anybody's eyes from seeing anything, and then you can reveal Yes, and, and, and that story about the disciples on the road to Emmaus is so powerful because they were so far, it wasn't like they were hoping to see Jesus, they wanted to see Jesus when he was right there. They didn't think, this, this can't be Jesus, he died. Okay, And all through when Jesus was telling them about his death and resurrection, they were, they were distressed, they didn't get it, no, we don't let that happen to you, what are you saying, Jesus? And so quite the contrary in terms of hallucination, when he was standing physically right in front of them, they didn't see him because they, until... Their hearts were changed and they saw him. Yeah. Okay, any other questions about the resurrection? Yes, sir. What do you got, Christian? So I've heard a lot of uh, people say that the disciples, after they uh, professed to see Jesus resurrected, uh, all died these different martyrdoms, like um, Peter was killed in Rome. How do we know that that's true, though? Because the Bible doesn't actually record any of the original 12 disciples dying, so how do we know that there was actually true? Yeah, good question. And not all of them. John, I don't think... Did I might have that wrong, but but, but most of them, and, and the reason we know that is not because it's described in the Bible. None of their deaths are described in the Bible, but it's because we do have historical documents that aren't Bible, aren't inspired scripture, but that are documents that we can look at because church historians wrote about what happens to Peter and to Matthew and uh, to Thomas, probably down in India. And so it's not based on scripture, but it's based on other historical documents we have access to. I think Eusebius' church history is probably the main one that people use. And it's not scripture, but Eusebius was a church historian. Good question. Last call, going, going, yes. I think so. You saw the picture up here, and um, and that's the story of Thomas, where Jesus says, touch my hands and put your hand in my side, and you'll know it's me. And I think that's probably why. I mean, they were, they were healed, but the scars were still there, right? Big old scars that were very, very clear. Good question. Okay, so last question is, what difference does this make? It makes all the difference. And so I'm talking, I know now to people, some of you are already trusting Jesus Christ, and some of you, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the story of Jesus Christ. But see, I want to just tell you that because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we can trust him. We can trust everything that he said. And he said that there's a God, and he said that we've all sinned against God and have turned away from him, and our relationship with God has been broken, and we face God's judgment. But he said the good news is that God loves us. He cares about us. And listen, God has made a way for you to be forgiven and restored into relationship with him. It doesn't make any difference what you've done, how grievously you've sinned. It doesn't make any difference. God has made a way. This is what Jesus taught. He's made a way for you to be forgiven. And it's by sending Jesus Fully God, fully man, in history, working miracles, eyewitness, history, died, buried, raised, and his death was suffering in our place for our sins. And so here's what happens when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. 
when you turn from your sin and just say, help me, change me, forgive me, satisfy me, supernatural things happen at that moment. He changes you. He forgives you. He fills you. He satisfies you. Your relationship with God for the first time ever is reconciled, restored. You know God's love. You know God's care now and forever. So here's my appeal to you. You've heard the evidence. Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. It's not blind faith. This is look at the evidence and turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ. He will save you. And if you're already trusting Jesus Christ, strengthen your trust in Jesus Christ based on all the evidence. And if you're already trusting Jesus Christ, give your life to helping other people come to trust Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is risen. That's why. Let's stand together. Bring your power upon us now, I pray. Living Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, come and move and touch our hearts. Strengthen those who have been trusting you but are in the midst of thick trials right now. Strengthen their faith, encourage them, comfort them with the, the reality of who you are, the evidence for your resurrection. This is all true. All your promises are true. I pray, Father, for those who have been trusting you but have not been engaged in helping other people come to trust you. Lord, stir in their hearts right now a fresh conviction. Yes, Lord, I want to give my life to making disciples who make disciples for the glory of Jesus and help them know how to do that. Give them first steps to take. And then, Lord, I pray for those here who are at this point not yet trusting Christ. I pray that you would Help them. And I just want to say to you, if you're not yet trusting Jesus Christ, you have every reason to trust him. And there is no reason not to. So please, he loves you. You can be restored to God. You can be completely forgiven. And so turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ right now. God, come and do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.